Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome. Recording in progress. Welcome to Resiliency Within and welcome to my guest, Brooke Conway, who is the mental health and wellness counselor at the Ka'au Program for Student Mental Health and Wellness at Kappa Olani Community College, where she supports student well-being. Her life experience developed a natural capacity to listen and support others through trials and growth and motivated her to be the first in her family to attend college. She holds a Bachelor's of Arts Psychology from UCLA, a Master's in Public Health um, from UC Berkeley, and a Master's in Social Work from the University of Hawaii in Manaoa. Did I say that correctly, Brooke? Okay, thank you. Um, so she's going to share her wisdom with us today. She has been supporting um, the mental health of students um, in Hawaii, and she will share with us that she works with a diverse group of individuals from many parts around the world. But let's talk a little bit first about why the mental health of college students is so critical that we pay attention to um, what's happening to them during a very important developmental time of their life. Um, Dr. Roberta Lipson from Boston University School of Public Health revealed that college is a key developmental time. The age of onset for lifetime mental health problems also directly coincides with traditional college years. 75% of lifetime mental health problems will onset before the age of 24. So we can see why those ages then during college are so important. So college um, student mental health um, is being studied by uh, an organization called the Healthy Minds Network, a national project with researchers at the University of California at Los Angeles, the University of Michigan, Wayne State University, and Boston University. And they found that in 2020 to 2021, 60% of students met criteria for one or more mental health problems, a nearly 50% increase from 2013. Mental health worsened among all groups over the study period. American Indian, Alaska Native students experienced the largest increases in depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and meeting criteria for one or more mental health problems. So students of color had the lowest rates of mental health service utilization and the highest annual rate of past year treatment for Asian, Black, and Latinx students were at or below the lowest rate for um, than uh, white students. So although Arab American students experienced a 22% increase in prevalence, there was only an 18%, there was an 18% decrease in tra- treatment. So it's so important that we hear from Brooke about her experience of navigating through COVID and now that students are returning to campus. And I think that Hi- Hawaii's also has a very unique culture and history and also is a place where many people from many other parts of, of um, the Pacific Islander, Island nations have come to study. So, Brooke, welcome. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much, Elaine. Just thank you so much for, for having me on today and just 
allowing the space to, to share our experience, um, not only for our Ka'al program at Kapiolani Community College, um, but even just offering stories from Hawaii. Um, as you mentioned, it's a really diverse place. Um, there's a lot of rich history and story here. Um, culturally, it's, it's just a, a beautiful place. And um, I think a lot of that has been reflected in our experience through this pandemic and, and just exactly what you're sharing about um, the student experience and, and how they've been navigating through this time. Um, we know even pre-pandemic from what you shared, statistically, college students, um, you know, have high risk of developing mental health conditions. And, and so it is a really pivotal time. And I think it's a really pivotal time right now to support their mental health and well-being. So just thank you for having me. Well, you're so welcome, Brooke. And I, I guess I wanted to say, too, we were talking a little bit before the show started about some of the work that's been done in terms of Hawaii. Um, I just gave some information um, that really had a lot of different components from different parts of, of the United States. But there's been particular focus on on the needs of students in Hawaii. And could you share a little bit of the information that you think would be important if anyone from Hawaii is listening, for example? Well, if we have any listeners from Hawaii, aloha mai, kako, and just um, thank you for, for tuning in. I think some of the statistics you brought up really are important. Um, I think especially as we think about our um, American Indian Alaska Natives um, here in Hawaii, we have our Hawaiian students, we have our um, students who are from the Pacific Island nations, and you know those groups often in our national statistics get get kind of lumped into Asia and Pacific Islander umbrella, um, but are not necessarily drawn out. Uh, and you will see a lot of disparities in those populations once you start to disaggregate and unpack those those larger umbrella terms. And um, it is the case as well that that those students, or you know, not just students, but those populations um, bear a lot of the mental health burden, disease burden across the board, um, you know, for, for mental health. And um, it's important for us to, to talk about that and to um, really create services that are, are looking through that lens and that experience um, and allowing students to, to show up um, from where they are. Um, we also have our, our local populations so diverse. We have a lot of um, Asia and Pacifica populations represented. We have Filipino, we have Japanese, Chinese, folks from Korea. Um, we have folks from the mainland who come to our college. So we really do have this really large, um, colorful and diverse population here at, at KCC, which is another term we use to talk about our, our college. So, um, yeah, there's just been a lot of um, stories coming through as, as we've navigated through this time um, from this really diversely cultural and linguistic place, which is why things like CRIM are so important. 
Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, I didn't mention that also um, Brooke is a community resiliency model teacher. So she has integrated uh, the community resiliency model school, skills and some of the the, the uh, offerings to the students. But I think that, you know, when I'm hearing and seeing so, some of the information that's coming forward is that there are some um, students from certain parts of the world that are are less likely to reach out to get mental health care when they actually may, they need it just as much as anybody else. So I know one of the things that you and I've talked about is just how we bring in other ideas that may be openings and portals for someone who may otherwise say, I'm not going to talk to a counselor, but they may uh, decide to do that if there are wellness skills that are offered, for example. So could you maybe share with us a little bit about the work that you've done with the community resiliency model um, and, and why you think that perspective is important? Absolutely. You know, I know for, for you and, and me as, as social workers, uh, by training, there's that notion or that saying that we talk about meet people where they are. And I, I think that's where a model like and, and wellness skills and, and services in general, when they operate from a place of humility when it comes to folks' cultures and the lenses that they're coming with into a space of healing, there is a really great opportunity and place to explore that as a way of building up somebody's resilience from within. And I, that's why I think your podcast is just so aptly named. Um, you know, folks may not want to engage spaces that, um, you know, operate from, from one cultural lens. And, and sometimes our clinical models don't necessarily match where, where people are at inside. And so something like CRIM, um, where we are tapping into what is already present within somebody and, and where they're at, who they are, and tapping into those resources, it's a really powerful way to, to really enhance their wellness um, with what they already carry within them. Well, and you know, if you could also maybe just say a little bit, you know, many of us had, have heard the word aloha um, as a greeting, but aloha, I have learned from being in Hawaii a number of times now, has great meaning. And so could you explain a little bit about aloha and the meaning of it? I love that you asked me that question um, because when I speak about aloha, um, there's actually teachings I've been taught by um, my kumu or my teachers who I've connected with since I've lived here on the island. Um, so disclaimer, I'm actually not from Hawaii. I was born and raised in South San Francisco, California, um, but I've lived in Hawaii. I've lived on Oahu for the last 10 years. Um, gosh, that seems like such a long time, but it's felt so short and long at the same time, which is kind of weird. Um, but aloha um, is such a powerful connecting word that carries so much um, what we call mana here in Hawaii. And, and that's there's this spiritual essence or, or power in that word. And um, I have beautiful teachers, um, Uncle Pono Shim, who I want to bring into this space, um, because the way I've been taught about Aloha, um, through his teaching, and then of his grand aunt, Auntie Pilahi Paki, who was a very revered kupuna or elder here in Hawaii, um, and shared a lot about 
the deeper meaning of that word um, is that aloha is all about connection. It's the way that we all connect. We are all, there's this notion of we are all unbroken, that we are already all connected. And when we come together, we will actually find and reveal that connection that brings about grace. It brings about kindness. It brings about this notion of being completely empty so that you can connect and, and meet each other. And so it is so much more than, than a greeting. It, yes, it means love. Yes, it, it's a way that we greet each other. Um, and in its deeper essence, it is, it is our life force. It is the way in which we connect and, and meet the world. And so I, the way I actually think about CRIM and, and what I do as a mental health counselor is, is this is a way that we aloha ourselves and each other. Is when we are talking about resilience and wellness, of resiliency and wellness, we are actually, this is actually a way that we bring about aloha in ourselves and each other and we connect. Oh, oh my goodness. That is, <laughs> I didn't realize I was going to get such an answer, but I mean, it does. It just seems so amazingly sacred um, and deep when you express it that way. And I think that's what we've seen with the community resiliency model is that any place we go on earth, we respect traditions and culture. And when people tell us about their culture and something as powerful, a powerful as aloha is that, and when we say that, when we experience the teachings of it, then we'd ask, well, what is going on inside of you as you, and I mean, I'm just, I'm experiencing that, not, you know, being a visitor to Hawaii and feeling a deep breath. And I'm just, oh, feel the sense of well-being on the inside. So we're connecting culture, traditions, meanings that come from our indigenous people and how that can not only contribute to them, but how it contributes to the wider society. And is that what you've seen happen as you have sprinkled the community resiliency model I know in, into Hawaii, into Oahu and the other areas? Yeah, there's sort of this like, integration I think that is is really beautiful and these things that align and that so much of the community resiliency model aligns with um, these world views that that carry this this notion of connection and that we are connected not only within ourselves we're connected within each other we're connected with the land we're connected with the ocean and that these these larger connections amongst all of us actually are the things that help keep us strong and keep us well. And so it's no surprise that, you know, when folks come to visit Hawaii, they actually find resilience here. They find a sense of wellness here. They take those deeper breaths and, and, and sense into what this land has to offer, which is why it's such a great popular place to come. Um, and so weaving that into what we offer through a mental health um, service on a college campus is really trying to bring all of that into the space and, and using a model like Prim that has such a, um, I would say, just an opening to, to bring in those resources and to bring those resources into the space and to open up what a student has to bring into the space in terms of their own resilience has just been really a privilege to, to witness um, because it really 
it doesn't matter where you come from, the time and space we connect where we are right here and right now, um, we can bring aloha into the space and we can bring whatever it is a student needs into the space to help them take that breath and to move through the moment, especially when it's been difficult like it has been in the last few years as we've navigated through this pandemic. It's been really critical. So I have another question that's connected to what you're saying, and then I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, how you manage and how you're transitioning now that I know um, students are coming back to school. But, you know, when I think about depression or anxiety or the things that we call mental health conditions, you know, it seems like there can be a loss of that aloha that you're talking about that for some, for some reason that, you know, not recognizing that it's there. And so have you found that as you've worked with people that are um, Hawaiian and people from other, other places from around the world, how have you been able to, I guess, cross that bridge with them to help them to learn of what is inside of them that they may feel that they've lost? That's a really great question. I think what I've witnessed in these last few years with that is the importance of acknowledging the both and and I think the way that you phrase that, or the even the the crim model phrases, asking the question, "What else is true?" Um, but before we get to what else is true, it's really important to acknowledge what has been lost and to allow the space for the grief and the the difficulty and the the depression and the anxious moment and the the tears to move through what they're going through. And I think there, because there has been so much loss, creating that space to, to sit with that has been really important. Um, and then allowing us like the acknowledging of the, of whatever the suffering might be. Yes. And then if we're talking with people that are um, from the indig indigenous um, culture of that land, when there's been colonization, there is a history and the history has involved really uh, trying to take away the culture, yes. you know, trying, well, actually people being killed. I mean, there is a, and it's not such a long ago history. Correct. And so sometimes people think, oh, we don't have to pay attention to, we just have to pay attention to now. But if we don't do what you're saying, then how can you be in the present moment if the weight of the past is not being acknowledged Absolutely. And, you know, there is such a, when folks come to Hawaii, they know about, you know, it's a beautiful place. You know, there's this beautiful, there is something, you know, the aloha spirit, right? But there's a, there's a deep history here of what else is also true. And it, it's almost like the reverse, like there's resilience and wellness and all these great things here. And there's this other side that folks often do not know about and the long history of cultural trauma that has happened to the Hawaiian people, that there was a thriving kingdom at one point, and that kingdom was overthrown, and that culture was um, prevented from being practiced, that language was, was taken away. And so um, moving into a space where we are 
engaging with folks' trauma, that all gets carried in to someone's mental health and well, and the person who's showing up with you that day, that all shows up. And finding and giving space to acknowledge what's there. And, you know, just knowing that historical piece exists and allowing space for that to be brought out and talked about. And that part of um, how folks have navigated through is there's been a cultural renaissance and the revitalization of culture, of language, um, and even of sacred spaces and, and land and Aina here. And all of that, all of that connects to the, the health and wellness of the individual and the collective. And so giving space for, for those resources to come out, for, for that to be talked about. Um, and so like often, you know, I've worked with students who, if they've suffered a loss of, of a family member um, or they've lost somebody through this time, you know, someone's kapuna, someone's elder, someone's ancestor can be their resource that helps navigate them through this time. And there's that connection to that person that helps to keep them strong. And that also connects to their culture, their stories, their history, um, and allowing space for that to exist and for mm -hmm. that to yeah. And as you're talking, you know, I'm thinking, you know, um, Brooke is in Hawaii. She's talking about Hawaiian culture and, you know, their cultural and linguistic integrity. But I think it's important to know that this happens all over the world. It happens in other parts of the United States. So when we're talking about Hawaii as being one example. Um, I think the things that you're saying to us about the acknowledgement of that is so important. Um, and and that brings me to kind of like a connected question about the community resiliency model, which, you know, is just a set of simple six skills. It recognizes, you know, kind of the organicity of the human nervous system in relationship to the earth and the land and to ourselves. But how do how would you, you know, take something like the community resiliency model? Maybe you do other things as well. It doesn't have to be only about CRIM and navigate, you know, through um, this uh, you know, a disconnection that could happen um, because of culture and ling linguistic um, challenges they've had because of the oppression that some folks have experienced. I think the power of our presence does so much um, to help folks navigate through difficulty. And what I found about CRIM or even just you know, acknowledging like where things live in, in our bodies and being able just to reconnect and establish a relationship and a connection there um, and, and bear witness to that has done so much. And I, I the ability to have that be spoken without words, I don't, I hope that makes sense, but there, there's so much that doesn't have to be said. Um, and it sort of transcends the cultural and linguistic barriers. We, you know, we do have a lot of students here on our campus who are non-English speaking or learning English as a second language. And so there's a lot of cultural and linguistic barriers there to, to try to access this kind of care and, and the communication that's required. Um, but something like the community resiliency model and, and just the acknowledgement and 
connection to the body and being able to ask simple questions. The pleasant, unpleasant, the neutral, what do you sense inside? So much of that um, kind of transcends the the language barriers and allows people to access what's going on inside. And to have that connection, or I guess aloha, I'm going to say from what you've described to us, because I think that's, you know, for those of you that may not know, with the community resiliency model, I think, you know, we teach natural leaders of communities. We also teach mental health professionals like Brooke in order to be able to bring these kind of set of wellness skills. But there is an aspect of it that's called interceptive awareness, a more scientific term, that those individuals that can have more body awareness but actually they can they can manage their emotions and feel more connected not only to themselves to others so when you see that it can be very connected to what you're talking about with traditional concepts and you know I actually love what you said cuz sometimes there's no words and i think that when we know that we have other vehicles of expression that yes we have feelings we have our thoughts but we also have our sensations and and many individuals around the world that are very connected to many of their cultural beliefs there was so much that actually was acknowledged inside the body that some western approaches kind of lose and this is where we can touch into that in a way that we can have people in the same room from different cultures, different languages. And yet if, if we can have that, even, even, even doing a, an expression of even dance or movement, and then to, to notice what's happening on the inside, right. Can be very um, uplifting. And certainly, oh my gosh, in Hawaii, the dancing and is so amazing in terms of that expression of really like a spiritual practice. Absolutely. Um, I've actually talked to some of my, when I talk about, you know, the, the movement and bringing in things like hula, bringing in things like, um, you know, mele or song. Um, these are all resources that already exist um, and folks are already tapping into. So a lot of it's already happening. Um, at a community level, and when you can allow the space for someone to tap into that intentionally as a resource that they intentionally are bringing into the space to enhance or fulfill their health and wellness, um, it, it, it just gives it a different meaning to it, um, or it, it just connects in a very intentional way um, to bring that through as a resource and I, I just think that's that's what's so amazing about the model and the way that it can bridge these access points um, that that may vary across cultures um, they may vary across people's worldviews but it's really tapping into what that is on the inside and allowing that to come through and where we sit or where I sit as um, you know a guide or somebody who's just trying to gently guide that process, um, the ability of, of my presence to co-regulate and allow the safety of the space to bring that out. Um, it's, it's super powerful to witness and it's such a, a really beautiful privilege to see. So I think that I think our, our audience is hearing that we're talking about mental health, but we're really talking about mind and body health. Yeah. And that when we are, we come forward as a whole person, 
that that really makes a huge difference, not only for ourselves, but for the people that we are assisting. So we're going to take a short break now. We are with Brooke Conway from Hawaii, and she is an amazing social worker and has her master's in public health. And oh my goodness, you've got quite a, a, a pedigree, my dear. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. We were both talking before the the when we were before we started the show that we are the first persons in our family to go to college. So I imagine your family's very very proud of you. I know my family was for me. So we'll talk more about that because community college too is oftentimes that bridge that starts the college career. And I want to I want to amplify that a little bit because I think we you and I both believe in community colleges. Absolutely. So we'll be back in just a in just a in a couple of minutes, and you'll hear a little bit from our sponsor, the Trauma uh, the Trauma Resource Institute, and I will be back with Brooke Conway. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. 
Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, and I'm here with Brooke Conway from the Kapiolani Community College. She is a social worker. She also has her master's in public health, and she supports the students at her college. And we've been talking at the first part of the show um, in the importance of, you know, cultural heritage and traditions and how she works really with the whole person. We were talking about, yes, you're a mental health counselor, but it's really mind-body health and bringing the body in has been important to you, Brooke. And many of you know that um, the Trauma Resource Institute that um, supports this show, they are the uh, major pers- major organization that teaches people how to be community resiliency model teachers. And I know that Brooke first, I think, came and learned about the trauma resiliency model. I think that was quite a while back um, when the, one of the first times I came to Hawaii. And then you also learned about the community resiliency model. So I'm wondering, as we're coming back, if you can maybe share a little bit about um, what impact like like the model, like the community resiliency may ha- had on navigating through the COVID-19 pandemic, and also as we're transitioning back to coming back on campus. Oh, those skills are really critical. Um, and and I, I say that not in addition to um, bringing that into mental health and wellness services, but even just for, for me personally, you know, we've all navigated through, we've been navigating through this time collectively. We've, we've suffered a really large collective trauma loss. Um, there's, there's been a lot of grief along the way, a lot of unknown, a lot of anxiety. And so just even having the, the skills at hand to help regulate myself helps me stay present as I'm trying to hold that space for, for other folks who are also going through um, really difficult times. Um, I should mention too that there's kind of two hats I wear on my campus. So one is the mental health and wellness counselor, which I transitioned to during the pandemic. Um, but I also am a confidential counselor under our Title IX program. And our Title IX policy, Title IX is a federal policy um, looking at gender equity. Um, actually, one of our state senators, Patsy Mink, uh, was one of the authors of, of Title IX. Um, but it's also um, expanded in, in looking at gender equity through the lens of even experiences of gender-based violence, um, dating, domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking. Um, so I actually have worked with a lot of students who have experienced um, those types of, of violence too, both before, during, and as we've been navigating through the pandemic. And I've actually implemented um, community resiliency model skills as um, support for students who are navigating through those experiences um, as they are assessing their options for their education and trying to navigate through the multiple layers of their lives and and just helping to stabilize and and feel safe and um, figure out what their their plan is. Equally on the mental health side, um, because of the time that we're going through, I've used CRIM um, for a lot of my students kind of front load um, as we've been talking about um, how we support students, how do we um, open up the space in a way that is going to be gentle and isn't going to be ripping open all of the traumas that they've been going through, 
but really front-loading with the wellness skills has allowed that to take place in a very soft and manageable way so that they can help move themselves through the conversations um, as they start to unpack and and disclose uh, some of the things that they're that they're dealing with, like anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, you know, self-medicating um, as a way to to cope getting through. Um, there's just so many layers. Just so, well, so, you know, I kind of want to just, you know, so maybe say a little bit about that. So when we say front load, we mean that we can teach the wellness schools skills of the community resiliency model and as something that they can use for themselves to self-regulate. And so if they're out in school again, I mean, this, I mean, I've heard this happen many times, Brooke, and you may have some stories. Let's say they've been sexually assaulted and they see somebody on the campus that may have been the person that sexually assaulted them. So they may quickly go into what we might say the high zone, become really afraid. Maybe they'll even leave their class if they happen to be in the same class. When you give people skills that they can manage their nervous system, calm themselves down, have the access to their prefrontal cortex to make a decision of what they're going to do to be safer, then if we can give them those skills in their hand, then they can maneuver that journey through what's going to be you know, let's face it, life is not easy. There's a lot of good parts to life, but there's a lot of rocky parts to life. Absolutely. And when you encounter those kinds of things, especially when you're you're forming your views of the world in college, that front-loading with the skills we have found to be really impor- important. And I just want to mention to our listeners that there is a free app called iChill app um, that you can download to any smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, you can go to iChillapp.com and you can learn all the skills that we're talking about today. I I just wanted to let people know that they could do that. I don't know. Do you use the app? Do you tell the students about the app, Brooke? Does that work? It's like one of the main things I give to them as a resource um, to continue, you know, once, you know, they come to meet with me, but as you said, like life happens 99% outside of the hour they spend in my office. So really giving the tools to be able to practice and access the skills um, outside in their everyday life is, is where it's really going to make the difference. Um, and so, yeah, we, the iChill app um, and even just the notion of if you need to ground, you know, we've got this beautiful view of the Pacific Ocean. We've got a beautiful campus. Go outside, go sit on the ground, just connect with, with the earth. Go just see how that can help you access, um, you know, your resiliency inside. See if that can help you take a deeper breath if you're feeling activated. Um, And when you sense that deeper breath and that you can go on about your day, then, you know, it may just be five minutes. You may need to spend 10. um, But that will allow you to move through the moment and and get through and get to that next step or get to the next class or, or make that decision. Um, taking the time to pause. Well, and I think you're you're kind of answering this question, but one of the questions we had was, how has CRIM shifted the kind of care you provide for students through the mental health program? So this sounds like you've 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 integrated some things like the front loading, but is there anything more you want to say about that? You know, when I first moved into my position in the in the mental health program, um, I really. My, and this is still my hope. I, I really want to um, provide workshops so that the, our campus can learn these skills. You know, I, I'm because I'm the student mental health and wellness counselor. Of course, my lens is always looking at students, 
And I also know that these are important for my colleagues and the educators who are doing this work too. I mean, our educators who've been going through this pandemic and the things they've been going through too are, are just immense. And they're continuing to support students, to teach students, to help students move through their education the best they can, but they, they also need these skills too. And so, um, you know, I've offered some workshops and, you know, to be able to kind of increase our awareness and capacity of skills like this for our campus. Um, but then how I've approached direct services with students, um, you know, that's sort of been my, my main focus now at, at this stage in our programming. And I think just that's sort of been how I've prioritized um, the care that, that we provide, because we're a very small program. I'm a, I'm a program of, of one. We have a campus of around 6,000 students. So, um, you know, the campus-based mental health program is not going to necessarily be the place where you can get that long-term mental health care. And so I act more as a bridge to getting folks to that level of care in our community. Um, but while they're with me and, and when they first interface with me, I've shifted to, you know, doing some assessment and, and offering CRIM as a, as a way to kind of like stabilize right now, give them the skills that they can move through right now. And, and the beautiful thing about the model is that that can then go with them to when they connect to community services and they can continue to use the skills no matter what kind of therapy they're, they're accessing with their community provider. They can always tap back into, okay, what am I noticing inside? and integrating that in a way that they can continue to regulate. And, and I think that's an important thing to emphasize as well, because I think we've seen with, the, with wellness skills that we can integrate them into other, other things that we learn, other times in our life, other, when you're, if you get to, you know, find a therapist that you can work with that might be outside of the college, that they can, like you said, front load, they have the app and that can help in, you know, providing greater mental health for them. And we do now have quite a, um, a body of evidence that the model and just learning the skills in and of itself can statistically significantly reduce depression, anxiety, and increase, and, and increase, and also decrease um, vicarious trauma and increase wellness. So, you know, this is like, um, I think you used before the show started, you said something about good medicine. <laughs> it's, it's medicine. It doesn't cost anything. It's in the palm of your hand. It's all within you. Um, you know, I mentioned my, my Kumu, my mentor and friend, Uncle Pono Shim. He actually passed away last year. Um, but he always talked about our stories are our medicine. And that is part of Aloha is that when we connect and we share our stories, our stories are our medicine. That is Aloha. And so when I'm with somebody in session and I'm asking them to share their story, that's already the medicine. And I'm really just asking them to reflect on their story and, and go within and see how is that, how is that, how do you notice that inside as you're sharing this with me? And you said earlier that you wanted to say more about what else is true. Cause I think part of the story is not only the suffering, but what else is true. Can you say a little bit about that in your perspective? And, and I would love to hear if there's a story you would like to share about your journey, either working with a student or your own journey, Brooke, I, we would, I, of course, I would invite you to talk about that. 
Yes, I think, you know, the way I've looked at it through this time is acknowledging the both and. And that's acknowledging the duality of the difficulty, the trauma, the loss, and, and, and giving and honoring that and honoring the space that we need to grieve to, to move through the moment and the what else is true, the what is helping me through right now, what is helping to keep me strong, um, where I'm finding that, that sense of aloha and where are we finding that together? And, um, you know, it, it doesn't, and that, the thing I love about approaching it that way is that when we're, we're talking about resilience, you know, we're talking about the way that we confront the trauma and the loss and the ability to, to move through and be okay in spite of. So it, it's not this, you know, oh, it's, it cures everything or it makes everything go away. Mm-hmm. No, it's acknowledging the way that we honor what what's there and and give space for that and to know that there are there's this other side that we are still moving through even though we're going through a hard time and i think the it's really been inspiring to me to see how students have been navigating through this time it's given me a lot of strength and inspiration because there, there are things, you know, we're all going through that are so tough, man, like the tears that have been shed, the, just the, the, the release and, and the processing of that has just been so intense. Um, I think it has been um, a time, you know, we talk um, in, in the community resiliency model, being in the high zone and the low zone. Low zone is those depressed states. High zone is when we're angry and we say things that we regret. And I certainly have heard from people literally all over the world that they have had more and high, more high and low zone states during the pandemic. And as And I think also, you know, how have we allowed for the grief of the things that we lost during the pandemic? And Certainly people lost loved ones, you know, Hawaii is not that big. And so, I mean, there are a lot of people lost their lives. And so, you know, it's hard to sometimes not talk to at least someone that knows someone who may have died as a result of the pandemic. And so I'm just, I'm wondering about what space that you have for the grieving of those things that were lost that students may need to express as well, Ambrooke. Yeah. Um, I think it's just it's it's the space knowing that there's a safe space knowing that there is a place you can go to to talk about that when you're ready right because you know you know every people have to be ready to to open up and and acknowledge and so it's it's really just when when you're ready and when you can this is here um to, to just acknowledge and, and unpack what, what we, a lot of us have been holding in for, for this whole time and almost like holding our breath. Yeah, almost like holding our breath. And I'm just, you know, thinking about my time in college. I mean, oh my gosh, I was meeting friends. We were having coffee. We were going on walks. We'd go to the beach, all those different things that you do that pretty much many people weren't able to do. So at a time of incredible growth as an adult, as a 
um, young adult that you weren't able to do that. So could you say a little bit about that? Because I would think that's a big part of working with students right now is how they're, you know, and feeling the awkwardness. I mean, goodness gracious, I can remember feeling so awkward when I was at first in college and going, am I going to know anything? You know, I'm going to be able to say something in class, all those different things that we scrutinize scrutinize ourselves about. You know, we were moving out of the time that we were just told for the last two years that being with each other isn't safe. And so how we meet that with our young people who are in this developmental stage where this is where all of that practice, you know, high school, all of that is, is where this was supposed to take place, to have those awkward moments, to, to try and navigate these relationships, that was all gone. You know, being in, even being in class together and being able to talk around the class discussion, none of that really existed. I mean, it's, it's kind of existed on Zoom. Um, but it's different. And now being back in a place where coming back together and trying to navigate that, there's absolutely a, a piece of that that has been lost that that trying to like move back through. So, you know, even as a campus, like we have a lot of like our student clubs and our um, our student life office trying to create these spaces. You know, we have some of our other coalitions that are, you know, creating things like movie nights, um, Valentine's dances, like trying to create space for connection again. Yeah, because you may not remember. <laughs> I was thinking, we, we were talking before the show started about how just, oh my, it's so strange. Like we're longing for being with people and then go, well, goodness, that's going to be strange though. And yeah. why be worried that the person could have COVID? And if I get COVID, you know, could I give it to someone else who's more vulnerable in my family? I mean, these are things that we didn't used to think about. And, and those have to be part of some of our reality, not all of our reality, but for some, for some, I imagine they're thinking about these kinds of things. Yes. And I've noticed too, that there's been this sort of like anticipatory anxiety about being back in person. And, and some folks are, are, you know, like, nope, I'm going to stay online. I, I'm, I'm not ready yet. And then for some, and even for, for us as, you know, the, the, uh, adults that are, are working in the professional roles, like the counselors and the instructors, even we feel it too. Like there's sort of this anxiety about coming back in person and, and like, did we forget how to do this? And it, it feels overwhelming. What will I wear? I mean, I know right. it's very trivial. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm not usually wear, wearing anything of substance, you know, shorts, but I guess in Hawaii you wear shorts all the time anyway, but you know what I'm saying is that, oh my goodness, what am I going to wear? Yeah, totally. And, and, as like, simple as that. And, and these, you know, these things that came so naturally before, um, these little micro interactions seem so amplified now. And, and so just even like, okay, you know what, but then once we move through it, it's like, okay, you know, we can connect again, we can, we can get back to it. But it's almost like the, the being in that bit of the high zone before we can get there is is feeling extra overwhelming, I think, for folks. I think so too. And and I'm just wondering too, is, you know, you're thinking about there may be students from your college and maybe other students listening to you. Are there is there something you would want to say to them about, you know, reaching out to you um, in terms of your own uh, student population? But, you know, sometimes people don't know what to do and they don't even know that the feelings of depression or anxiety that they may be feeling or something that they could have, get help with. And if they did, then they think, oh, I'm going to have to tell somebody because they've also seen all the 
shows and movies that if, if you're going to go to a therapist, you have to tell them everything, which you may not have to. And those stories that you tell may be different. So what's your words of wisdom, Brooke, that you'd like to share with us as we're getting close to ending today? You know, for for the students um, and, you know, here in Hawaii, but, but even in, in other places too, um, we see you and we hear you. And this has been a really difficult time. And I, I think we haven't acknowledged that enough. And I part of that is I think we've, we're still moving through the, the latter parts of this pandemic. Um, and so if you sense you need somebody or you just need to be heard, there are people out there who are ready to receive you when you are ready. And, you know, it, it may be someone like me who's a mental health counselor. It may be, you know, a peer mentor or a tutor that you talk to. It may be a teacher. Um, connect with somebody you trust and know that you will be held. Yeah. And that you're not alone. You're not alone. We, yeah, we know that many, many um, school um, adolescents and in college, sometimes they feel the depression is so great, they just want to end their life. And we just want you all to know that there is there are people there to listen and to hold you if you're suffering. And remember, there's also, besides like on your campus, they have ways to contact you, Brooke. Most all college campuses have someone who is in the role that Brooke has in Hawaii. But remember also there is the 988 number that's, that is now all over the United States where you can get help if you're suffering, if you have thoughts of suicide and afraid that you may harm yourself or maybe afraid that you'd harm someone else, you can call them and there are wonderful people that will be there to support you. So Brooke, um, I'd love you to, to tell us if, if they wanna contact you, how would they get a hold of you? Yes. Um, I want to add just another resource in addition to what Elaine is sharing. Uh, one, an additional resource I, I tell our students, you know, especially if they're feeling um, some kind of way about talking to somebody on the phone. If you don't want to talk, but you want to connect through text, there's also the crisis text line. And you can text hello. And if you're from Hawaii, you can text aloha to 741-741. Um, and that's also another way you can 741 741. We have about two minutes left only. Get that went wow. by so fast. If so you want to get in touch with you. Yes, to get in touch with me, you can contact our Ka'au program at, at Kapiolani Community College. And our email is kapkaau, that's K A P K A A U at hawaii.edu. Um, you can feel free to call me too. It's 808-734-9585. Um, and I'm, I'm here to listen and I'm here to be present. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for being with me today. And for my listeners, um, remember what else is true. I think we've heard from Brooke, the wonderful services she provides to the students in Hawaii, but she just happens to be a pretty wonderful person in and of herself, even if she, when she's not working with students. And I know that she's also shared the skills with her her children and her husband. And so thank you so much, um, Brooke, for all the work that you do in the world and spreading 
really spreading joy and 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 happiness and being able to do that deep listen when people are suffering because i know that you have that capacity so in your in your bones in your bones right in your body mind body and spirit so aloha to you aloha to our i'm just going to have to maybe i'll start just using aloha now i just love all the things you told me about it because when i'm in hawaii they always say aloha to me when i leave and when i come so thank you can I just share one more thing about Auntie Pilahi Paki? Um, 30 Kong seconds. Kong. So if you can do it in a very short period. One sentence. She um, shared a prophecy that in the 21st century, the world will search for peace and the world will look to Hawaii because Hawaii has the key and that key is aloha. So uh -huh. aloha is connects and it connects us all. Thank you so much, Brooke. Until Thank we meet you. again. This is Elaine Miller-Karis signing off. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.